Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. Honestly, it's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and talk about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference in your life. And that's what we're going to hear from Richard in a way that only he can do with words of hope, insight, and humor. You may be stuck in traffic or stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help get you on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. So let's get right into today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Religion. Religion, or what I'm going to call today, real religion. From time to time, you may hear me say, I'm not a religious person. Okay, the reason I say that is because there's such a horrible connotation with religion nowadays or being a religious person. And a religious person, there's literally a definition for this, a person who manifests devotion to a deity. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, it could be any deity. You know, you make up a duck god or, you know, as long as you show devotion to some deity, whether it's God who we worship or serve or just someone has been manufactured, anybody can do that. To me, Christianity is about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, not about just being religious. So a lot of people don't like religious people. Some people say, well, I don't like organized religion. Well, they probably wouldn't like us either because we're kind of unorganized religion. So either way, it doesn't work a lot of times. All right, let me read you the definition for religion. The outward act or form by which men indicate their recognition of the existence of a God or of God's having power over their destiny, to whom obedience, service, and honor are due, the feeling or expression of human love, fear, or awe of some superhuman and overruling power, whether by profession or belief, by observance of rites and ceremonies, or by the conduct of life, a system of faith and worship, a manifestation of piety, as ethical religions, monotheistic religions, natural religion, revealed religion, the religion of the Jews, the religion of idol worshipers, and it goes on. Go to Acts chapter 26. Let me start here. I normally go left to right. It didn't work out today. So if you'll turn to the front of your Bible, you know where all this stuff is. There's a table of contents in the front. If you'll find that, put your hand in there. I'll call out like Acts, and then you go find Acts, the page number, turn to that, and If you can't find it, then you're just probably not a very good Christian. So (laughs) it's not true. We're not handing out awards for finding it. And look around. If you've got three or four Bibles and somebody near you doesn't have one, you know, scoot down there, share with them. You know, I want you to see it. I've said this before. Some people say, why don't you put the verses up on a big screen? Unless you got a big screen in your bathroom or by your bed or wherever you read the Bible, I don't want you looking at a big screen. I want you looking at your Bible. I want you to go home and read your Bible. You know, if it's on your iPhone or wherever it is, get it out, read it, and then go back to it and read it later again and get it for yourself. Probably one of the most religious people you'll find in the Bible, and this guy is Jewish and in the New Testament, is a guy named Paul. And in Acts 26, he's given an opportunity to speak to King Agrippa. He's standing going to defend his faith or the faith in front of King Agrippa. Verse one says, then Agrippa said to Paul, you're permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know 
They knew me from the first, if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I have lived a Pharisee. So you say, well, then Paul was religious. That was enough. Go down to verse 12. And if you want to read the rest of it, read it at home. He said, verse 12, while thus occupied, he was persecuting Christians. He says, while I was thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goad. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul goes from being a religious Jewish person strict sect of the Jews, the Pharisees, to being as committed to Christ. Now, here's the distinction I want to make. You say, well, I know some really nice religious people. They're not messed up. They do great things. They serve the community. They feed the poor. They give all this stuff out. It is not enough to be a good person. No matter how religious you are, even if you're totally devoted to the God of your choosing or of your making, It's not enough. What changed Paul, he was plenty religious when he started. He had an encounter with a living God, with the person of Jesus Christ, and that was the distinguishing factor from then on. He was a Christian who did what he did, who was devoted, who served, who was committed out of a relationship, not trying to prove something to God or the world. One of the shock of shocks is gonna be who ends up in heaven and hell. You say, oh my gosh, you're gonna talk about hell. You know, it's real. You say, are there going to be nice people in hell? Hell will be full of nice people. You say, well, that's horrible. That's not fair. Well, then tell me what's so fair about Jesus dying and you getting in without him. You're going to play the fair game. If it's just about being good, keep Jesus in heaven. Prop your feet up. We'll be there in a little bit. He would never have had to come if our being good enough was good enough. So being religious isn't enough. You have to be, the religion thing is not all bad. And I'll read this to you in a minute from scripture, but remember what we read comes out of people who have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ and now they're living out of that, not trying to get into some relationship with God. Go to James chapter one. Let's just jump right in here to the passage that I wanna talk about today. James chapter one, New Testament, and let's jump in about verse 19. And if you go over and read chapter two sometime later in the day, you'll see that what you say, your mouth, all these things have a lot to do with how you're living the Christian life. But verse 19 says this, so then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. It's laying something aside You're going to have a hard time keeping your sin and following Jesus at the same time. Having a struggle is one thing. Struggling eternally is another. You say, well, I got a struggle and I am still struggling. I'm not saying every once in a while you shouldn't be. And I'm with keeping after stopping whatever it is you're doing. You know, the Holy Spirit's convicting you of. But if you think, well, I got Jesus in my sin and, you know, we're just going to roll like this. It's not going to work. 
Keep reading. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And this is what is so weird. And even about a gathering like this where the church gets together and, you know, somebody gets up and talks and reads verses and there you sit and stare at me and some of you doze off and some of you stay with me and some of you text your friend across the room, you know, whoever's doing what out there. Like, what are we doing here? I mean, why this? Why these gatherings? And why am I standing up here telling you stuff? Because some of you go, well, that was interesting and I'm supposed to bring my kids to church, but I'm not going to do any of that. I don't know what he's thinking. It's simple. Be doers of the word. And I've said this repeatedly through the years. The thing that Claude, who discipled me, said, you know, his life changed when he read the Bible with the intent of doing what it said. Now listen to me. If you wake up every morning and read your Bible for an hour and your life's not changing, you're wasting your time. You say, well, isn't it a good thing to read your Bible? Quit reading your Bible if you're not going to do anything it says. If you read it and it says, let him who steals steal no more, and you go to work and steal all day, it's not working. You say, well, I was told I just need to read my Bible. Read the phone book, pray for those people or something. It's not working. (laughs) It's this simple. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. That's when your life changes. You say, well, that's when it's going to get hard. I don't want to do this or not do that and all this stuff. I just want to live my life like I want to and tack Jesus on. You got nothing unless you're doing what it says. You say, well, then you're saying just read the Bible, and if I do what I'm supposed to do and don't do what I'm not supposed to do, then I'll be okay. No. you got to start with a working relationship with Jesus where you're reading it with the intent of doing it to please him, not prove something to all of us. It's out of your heart. So he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You're not fooling anybody but you. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you, now here's where we're going today. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, and I usually don't give you, I won't even read the Greek words probably, but I'm going to read you the definitions straight out of Strong's for these words. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, and this word religious means fearing or worshiping God to tremble, trembling fearfully. This is someone who is religious in the best of ways, who comes with awe before God and says, I worship you, I tremble in your presence because I know who you are and I know who I'm not and I respect you and I worship you, okay? So here's this word that's used. If anyone among you thinks he is religious in that way and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion and the word used here for religion this time is religious worship, especially external, that which consists of ceremonies, religious discipline, or religion. Now it went from being awestruck in your heart to just going through the motions. He says, this person then deceives his own heart, and this one's religion is useless. And the word useless means devoid of force, truth, success, result, useless, of no purpose. It's a waste of time. And the example he uses here is you can't even control your own mouth. Charles Spurgeon, 19th century preacher from England, said this, when you see a man with a great deal of religion displayed in his shop window, you may depend upon it. He keeps a very small stock of it within. If it's not about that, look at verse 27. This is religion, pure and undefiled religion, 
And the word again used for religion is not the first one, by the way, but the religious worship, external, that which consists of ceremonies. He uses that word. Pure and undefiled going through those motions, but for the right reasons. The word here, undefiled, means not defiled. I just thought I'd point that out. Unsoiled, free from that by which the nature of a thing is deformed and debased, or its force and vigor impaired. Do you have that kind of religion? Pure undefiled. The force of it is not impaired. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. This is what it boils it down to. He says, if you want to do something, you want to go through some ceremony or religious thing from a New Testament perspective, here's what you're going to find yourself doing. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's simple. You say, well, I'm a religious person. Well, if you're a religious Christian, this is what you're about. You think, well, that'll be easy. I'll just go visit some widows and orphans. Yeah, well, I'm going to smack you with the second one because the second one is not as easy. First one, undefiled. We went over that word, religious. And then it says this. And you think, why do you, you know, cutting the frog up, just let it jump around and we'll go home. You know, you got to dissect this stuff every once in a while. And here's why. He says it's this, to visit orphans and widows. Now, let me read you the Greek definition from this word and what it means to look upon or after to inspect examine with the eyes in order to see how he is in other words to visit or go to see one it isn't picking up the phone and saying hey widow how you doing what's up how you doing you know it's not all this just chit chat email and see what's up it's with the eyes it's to say i'm gonna go see for myself are these widows and orphans okay and to look at them and assess the situation and be prepared to do something about it. And I love the fact that he goes to such an extreme here. You say, well, I do all this. You know what? This is no-brainer stuff. You find a widow who is left destitute, no one to take care of her, and you wouldn't have to go but within a mile radius of this building and find these women. You say, well, I don't know any widows that are in trouble. Exactly. How many do I know? You say, well, what about these orphans? Go see if they're okay. You say, oh, I don't know any. Well, maybe you need to take a mission trip. You say, oh, you're trying to make us feel bad. Exactly. Go find you some orphans and do something about it. You're all religious. If you're really a Christian and there's something to this, you are going to do something. You're going to act on it. We are going to be moved. And you're not going to be like me, hopefully. I, you know, scanning the channels, can't watch anything more than about 15 seconds because I'm ADD. That means I'm really good at math, by the way. I'm scanning the channels and God forbid that I'll stop on one of those save the children things or some little puppy eyed kid, you know, somewhere that looks attractive, but not too destitute where they can kind of snag and get you in. I ain't gonna watch that stuff. I'll have to give cash. Oh, they might get me to do something. I'm watching television. I don't have time to do anything. So we just keep flying. It's not enough to show up here every once in a while and punch your clock. You say, oh, I didn't punch the clock. I wrote a check. And did you examine the eyeballs of the person the check went to. When's the last time you said, you know what? I know somebody's in trouble. I'm going there to see what's wrong. And then you get involved. What's so fascinating about the world we live in now is the younger the people are, the more motivated they are to do it. Whatever's going on on the planet, it's old people who won't do anything a lot of times. I'm not gonna tell you how to define old, but the teenagers, the 20 year olds, you know, they come to church and say, what are we gonna do? Let's go do something. Let's go hammer some nails. Let's go paint some houses. Let's go serve somebody. And so we send them off and we miss out on the blessing that they end up getting out of doing it. 
pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And let me read you the definition of this trouble thing. A pressing, pressing together, pressure, metaphorically, oppression, affliction, tribulation, distress, straits. A widow in trouble. And you say, I'm going to find out what's going on. I would love if I could write all this down. I'd try to figure out, maybe we'll throw this out here and see if anybody bites. I would love to step out on the curb downtown here and get us some maps and almost go door to door. If fire broke out in the neighborhood and people were asleep, you know what they do? They go door to door and say, hey, there's a fire down the street. It's gonna come down to your house. You need to get out. We're gonna help you get out. We're gonna help you evacuate. Or if there's a chemical spill. My idea is, okay, let's just start with the widows and orphans and let's just go door to door. Excuse me, any orphans in here? No, God bless y'all, here's a track. You know, we're down the street. Excuse me, any widows in here? Ma'am, are you here by yourself? Yes. You got everything you need? No. Anything we do to help? Yes. My toilet doesn't flush. I got no heat. Whatever it is, say, you know what? We're here. We found you, and we're going to do something about it. Let's make a list of what you need, and just take it one house at a time. You say, well, we can't help everybody. I'm not talking about helping everybody. Let's just pick one house, keep going till we find another one, do take care of that, go find another one, take care of that, and just move through a whole city. You say, well, take forever. It's more than we're doing right now. Now, see, that sounds pretty exciting and appealing to me, and it's so simple. Because you know what? There are widows, forget on the other side of the world, there are widows within just a few square miles of this spot right here who you know what they do every day? They go... Father, I thank you. I have what I have, but you know what I need, and I'm praying you'll send me some help. Send me some help. They're praying for us. We just don't show up. Second thing he points out here. Well, you know what? I'm not done with that one. Widows and orphans. Go to Isaiah chapter 1. I'm afraid I'm not reading enough scripture, so I'm going to read another one. In Isaiah chapter 1, if you go read the whole thing, God basically says, you know what, enough with you people already. You come in here and bring all your cows and your sacrifices and your hearts just shot. I'm sick of it. And literally he says in verse 11, I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams. Quit burning stuff. Quit sacrificing to me. I don't want just this outward expression of it. I want you. I want your heart. Then verse 14, look what he says in there. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. Stop it already. Enough already of all your ceremonies. Verse 16, he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Go to bat for some things that matter, not just going through your rituals. I almost feel sorry for anybody who's here today or wherever you go to church if you go out there and you just come in and say, well, part of my week is on Sunday I wake up and I go to my church service and sit through the nice music and, and the little sermon and then we go to lunch and then we watch the football and then we you know, do whatever we're doing and it's just a part of my week. Church is not a part of your week. Church is your week. Jesus is your life. This can't be a stop on the cultural highway of your life. Oh, good. Check that off. We went and said hi to Jesus. Hi, Jesus. See you next week. We'll be back. Maybe. We're not too busy. And then he taps you during the week and says, hey, I need some help over here with this. Oh, no, no, no. It's not Sunday morning. If you ask me on Sunday, maybe. See you next week. How's that working out for you? Unspotted from the world. That was the next little part of that verse. He said, orphans and widows and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. 
I went in a pretty decent restaurant through the day and sat down. They brought out the glasses and they were going to put water in one of these glasses. And I picked up the glass. And if you've ever done this in a decent restaurant, you're like, you got to be kidding me. It's not like there's lipstick around the top. You just hold it up and it's just spots all over the inside. You think, well, maybe they ran it through the dishwasher, but somebody's not doing a very good job or they're using the wrong stuff. I don't want a spotted glass on my table. And they say, well, daddy, don't send it back. You don't like terrify my children, I think. <laughs> unspotted. How hard is that? You say, well, I'm having a heck of a time staying unspotted. Don't give up. And for some reason, there's something about the order of this. He says, pure religion and undefiled. And he talks about widows and orphans, uses a word visiting, eyes on, what's going on. I'm going to tell you something. If you're rightly related to God through Jesus Christ, you're walking with God, you're talking with God, and you're visiting widows and orphans, you're going to have an easier time staying unspotted from the world because you're doing something basic that he said to do. Then all of a sudden you go, God's using me. I don't want to go back to my sin. I want to serve some more. So he says, well, let's clean this glass up. Yes, sir. Get a wet rag. Get in there. Clean it up. Polish it up. Say, okay, now use this, God. Not this spotted mess. This dirty glass that you're serving up for him. And by the way, this unspotted word means spotless, metaphorically free from censure, irreproachable, free from vice, unsullied, spotless. You say, oh, that's too much. You're demanding perfection. You don't make yourself that way. It's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's all him. You just got to yield yourself to him. Keep yourself what? Unspotted from what? From the world. Maybe, maybe, three more verses. Not in the same chapters. I'll just read them if you don't want to turn there. John 17, Jesus in his prayer says this. I do not pray, this is verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This is Jesus praying for us. And then Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Matthew Henry said this, The way to preserve the peace of the church is to preserve its purity. By what he says, the more pure we stay as a people, the less strife we're going to have as a church. If we all chase after Jesus and try to live holy, godly lives, I'm not talking about messed up religious people just keeping a bunch of rules, but from the heart, love him and try to please him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, then we're going to get along a whole lot better as those people. And then the last one is in 1 John chapter 2, and verse 15. The writer says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest. Real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. Now, you know, I get up here and read all these verses and tell you all this stuff. I got struggle 
and I got struggling myself. I'm not telling you this is just some bing, say a few words, you know, your whole life changes and there's no more problems. It is a struggle, it is a process, but you can't just lay down and go, oh, I can't do it anymore and I got my ticket to heaven, but that's it, I'm done, I'm out. Don't stop struggling if you are struggling. Say, Father, you know, I can't do this by myself, I'm gonna get me some help. The scripture that says iron sharpens iron, you know, I always thought, well, what does that mean? You know what, if iron sharpens iron, somebody ought to be sharper when it's over. Someone should be sharper, you should be more effective. And that friction, that somebody coming along saying, dude, you're full of it, dude, you're out of line, dude, you need to straighten up, man, you're messing your life up. Here are the future consequences you don't see. I'm covering your blind spot. Every woman listening ought to have somebody in their life. Every man ought to have somebody in your life. You kids, if you're teenagers, you ought to have an older man, someone in your life. The girls, an older woman, somebody down the road. I need somebody who's not running in my pack I need somebody who's near the finish line that I can sit down and go, you know what? If he can make it, I can make it. I can tell you this, religion is worth doing. Religion, not so much in the world's eyes. I highly recommend getting you some religion and doing some practical things, widows and orphans and some spiritual things, keeping yourself unspotted from the world. Do everything you can. Change dishwashing soap if yours ain't working. Because Jesus has got some soap that'll leave it clean after the rent cycle. This has been Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. There's only one reason we do this program, to take the planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message and our mission. And you have a vital part of doing that along with us. If you've been encouraged by these talks with Richard, be sure to share with someone about the change they've made in your life. And we'd love to hear your story as to how the talks have made a difference to you. Give us a call. We'd love to talk with you. 855-6-RICHARD. You can also reach us through our website, richardellistalks.com. And while you're there, check out all the fun and informative pages we put together for you, richardellistalks.com. While you're there, be sure to click on the Contribute tab at the top to send your generous gift. If the program is making a difference to you, your gift will make a big difference to us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Richard Ellis Talks.